so all right. Hello, good morning or good afternoon, whatever the case may be, depending on where you are tuning into this, the world famous Cotton Companion podcast. That's right. We are back with you. You're not just dreaming. We are uh, we're back uh, on the pod waves, the airwaves, as it were, uh, for the first time after about a year sabbatical. And we are happy to be back uh, joining you just in time for harvest season. We hope that you are having a good one, whether you are with us in Albany, Georgia, or Altus, Oklahoma, or any point in between or elsewhere in the Cotton Belt. Uh, the Cotton Companion Podcast is back with a vengeance. Uh, as always, I am here with you today with our senior editor, Mr. Jim Stedman. Howdy, Jim. Beck, how are you doing today? And hello, everybody. Glad to be back. Yeah, yeah, we're both doing great. We're having our first little semblance of fall here uh, in Memphis which we are enjoying. I talked to a farmer buddy of mine uh, earlier this week who acted like he wouldn't hate having some more heat units out there, uh, but we can get into all that fun stuff uh, that you all are having out there in the Cotton Belt a little later on in the podcast. In fact, I know that we will. So uh, as we dive in to this new season, the first thing I want to do is to uh, thank our new sponsor, Spytogen. Spytogen is pleased to sponsor the Cotton Companion, bringing you the latest news to help you thrive all season long. Uh, Corteva, as you all no doubt know, is the new corporate name resulting from the merger of Dow and DuPont, <laughs> the corporate name of their uh, ag division. And they are the fine folks who bring these products that you all know so well, like Phytogen Cottonseed and Enlist Trait Technology. We want to thank them for their support. You will be hearing more from them as we get into uh, the rest of this podcast. Now, we know that so many of y'all are in the midst of harvest right now, and we know that we are uh, happy. We hope to be riding along with you in the cab of that picker or your stripper. Um, we hope you're seeing big numbers on those yield monitors. As I alluded to a second ago, we know that a lot of y'all are dealing with a whole array of issues this harvest season, uh, probably the most prominent, certainly the most prominent of those uh, as today is October 12th. We know that you all in the southeast are dealing with Hurricane Mike. <clears throat> Michael right now. And so we want you to know that we here in this office are certainly keeping y'all, those of you who are affected by that hurricane, y'all are certainly in our thoughts and in our prayers here in this office. I think it's fair to say that over the last 24 hours, we have started seeing far too many photos of, uh, of destruction and, uh, and some cotton fields that, uh, that were there one day and are gone the next. Uh, it's always heartbreaking. Uh, to know that you're this close to harvest and you're this close to having a, what, what was shaken up to be a potentially really good year, uh, just to see it all blow away. Uh, uh, it's, it's been a tough year, particularly and as Michael has moved on out of, out of Georgia and back up into the Carolinas. Again, uh, we feel for, for the growers who have not only had to deal with Michael, but the ones in, uh, in North and South Carolina who were just starting to get their feet back under them after Florence. So, uh, it's been a tough year. Uh, but we uh, we're with you. Absolutely, yeah. As I say, y'all are y'all are first in our thoughts uh, and prayers this week. Absolutely. So uh, moving along, we want you to know that we do we will have a few tweaks in store in terms of how we are structuring our podcast this year. It's a new season. We kind of got some new formats. Some things will feel different to you, but uh, one thing that will not is our first segment. Uh, going forward, it's going to be familiar to you. We're going to have uh, 
cotton grower uh, lead of journalistic programming. I try to come up with as fancy as a title as I could here, but he's actually just our senior editor, Jim Stedman, who is always on top of all of the uh, latest news in and around the U.S. cotton market from week to week. So he is going to lead us in a discussion of the top news items of the day. Um, I uh, suspect he'll have, uh, I know we had a WASD report dropped yesterday and a handful of other items that we will be going over. After that, we're going to bring you uh, an interview we did with cotton economist Dr. O.A. Cleveland. He was kind enough to join us. Uh, He always is. We are very thankful for him. And uh, later in the episode, we will have a message from our sponsor, and then we're going to wrap things up with with some other brief news items, uh, assuming there's anything left, assuming my guy Jim Stebman here doesn't just cover them all before we get there. So I don't want to put the cart before the horse, Uh, Jim. Let's dive right in. What do you got for us this week? Well, Beck, first of all, I want to say thank you for trying to come up with a new title for me, <laughs> yeah. because I think in some cases, senior editor is based strictly on the, on the color of my hair <laughs> well, at this point. Well, mine's getting there. We'll, we'll, have, we'll have the same title here in a few years, yeah. It's, it's, it, this is, I think that's what this business does, causes premature gray. Yeah, yeah uh, you're right. Although, and my, mine's been prematurely gray for about 30 years, so <laughs> uh, whatever that's worth. Right. Uh, now we're gonna we're gonna start out our news our news segment a little bit. We're gonna look at uh, first thing. It's 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 USDA report season. This is a time of the year as we start getting into harvest where we seem to have a brand new USDA report come out about every week, week and a half. Uh, and so one of, and one of the most anticipated reports is the annual varieties planted report. And I say that probably more from the perspective of the seed companies because quite honestly, bragging rights are on the line. It's a, it's a scoreboard, absolutely. It is absolutely a scoreboard. Uh, the The report came out two weeks ago. Uh, we have poured through it. We have analyzed it. We have uh, summarized it on our website and uh, and also go into a little bit more detail as we move into our November issue, which you folks will see uh, hopefully within the next few weeks. But to hit the high points on it, uh, once again, Delta Pine was the most popular brand of upland cottonseed planted in the U.S. this year, right behind them, uh, several uh, several percentage points behind them were the Americot Next Gen brands. Uh, third on the list was Phytogen, followed by BASF's Fibermax brand, Dynagro, uh, the, the BASF Stoneville brand, and Cropland. So every one of the major cottonseed product companies uh, are actually represented in these uh, in these standings. For the second year in a row, Delta Pines DP1646B2XF was the top upland variety planted in the U.S. Uh, that went over, uh, according to the report, 21.2% of the total cotton acres. And uh, next gen, the NG3406B2XF from Americot was second this year, uh, was 6.7% of overall acres. Those two varieties really for the last two or three years have topped the list in this report. Uh, in some cases, switching positions, but, but again, it just shows the, uh, the, the power and the consistency of, uh, of those two varieties, uh, and, and how well adapted they are across the belt. Uh, according to the report, Delta Pine brand upland varieties accounted for roughly 37.2% of the U.S. acreage this year. Uh, Americot Next Gen was at 30, 30.7%, Phytogen at 15.1% of the upland acres, Fibermax at 9.6%, and 
Dynagro at 4.2%, Stoneville at 2.9%, and Cropland at 1.6% of the upland acres. When you move over to the Pima side of, uh, of the industry, phytogen varieties are still by far the most popular choice, and they account for almost 75% of all the Pima acreage. So when you step back and look uh, at the listing in the report of the 20 most popular upland varieties, uh, Americot Next Gen actually claimed seven spots out of those top 20. Uh, Delta Pine and Phytogen both had five varieties, with Dynagro, Fibermax, and Stoneville each placing one variety in the top 20. So uh, that's the that's the the rough recap of the report. Uh, we'll turn it over at that point now to the to the seed companies and let them start dissecting. And uh, I'm sure there will be some uh, some discussions during winter meetings and and jubilation over how how their varieties have performed. So uh, so be prepared. We're going to hear quite a bit from them on yeah. that as we move ahead. Well, start with our November issue. You know, Absolutely. I mean, we, we get uh, that's one of the reasons we do our variety showcase in November is because we get that report in and, and kind of want to get that knee-jerk reaction from each of the seed companies. You know, each of them are happy, you know, with where they saw victories. Each of them are kind of looking at things that they want to do better in terms of gaining this market share throughout the Southeast. Uh, for me, you know, I have a totally different perspective when I read that report. It's such a reflection on what growers in different little pockets of the cotton belt value from year to year. I think it's it's undeniable uh, how important you guys are sh- telling us with your purchase decisions uh, weed technology is. You know, that has been the driver mm-hmm. of seed purchase decisions you know, for the past, I mean, my gosh, when I started doing uh, uh, resistant pigweed articles in like 2009, I mean, that has been the number one headline. You know, what, what are the new trade technologies? Uh, you know, how, how well will they be adopted? How effective will they be? And uh, it's interesting to me to see, obviously, uh, clearly the uh, introduction of this Extend technology has had an impact on you all's purchasing decisions. I wonder, are we moving into a, now that each of the seed brands has its, you know, alternative to glyphosate and its trait technology, and there are more on the way, um, are we moving, starting to shift into an, uh, the next phase when it's not just about, I'm going to buy whatever the most recent herbicide technology on the market is? Um, I don't know. It's... I look at it uh, a little differently. I look at it kind of uh, anthropologically, if you will, in terms of what is it telling us about what the cotton growers out there value. So it's it's always interesting. I don't know. I'm, I'm bab. I'm doing cotton editor nerd babble right now about what I about what I see from this report. But it's always interesting. Well, I think one thing that uh, that we'll we'll touch on when we later in the podcast when we get into our conversation with uh, with Owen Cleveland, uh, he's in spite of where the market might be at this point or at any point in time, he gives the seed company the breeding work that they've done on from developing these varieties that, that produce high yields and high quality fiber. Uh, without that, um, it would be a difficult, the market would be a totally different, different situation at this point. And the U.S. reputation quality would be, uh, would, would probably not where it is today, but, um, We'll let we'll let him get into that discussion later later today sure. later in this podcast. A uh, couple of other items I want to touch on briefly: uh, the new U.S. Mexico Canada agreement. 
uh, that was uh, seen that was put in place here within the last uh, week week and a half appears to be some pretty good news for the U.S. cotton industry. Now, this is according to the National Cotton Council. This new agreement is going to ensure continued duty-free access for U.S. cotton to both Mexico and Canada. Uh, Mexico is currently a top five export market for U.S. raw cotton, and both Canada and Mexico are top five export markets for cotton textile and apparel. And apparel, um, the uh, the agreement is going to promote greater use of textile products from the U.S., incentivize North American textile production, and strengthen customs enforcement in both textile and apparel products. A uh, couple other items here, real quick, while we're talking about the National Cotton Council. Registration is now open online for the 2019 Beltwide Cotton Conferences, which are coming up January 8th through the 10th at the uh, New Orleans Marriott, always one of our favorite locations for this meeting. Absolutely. Uh, the program obviously is still currently being finalized. Uh, they're putting basically the flesh on the bones of, of the program at this point uh, with an overall goal of helping consultants and growers improve production processing and marketing efficiencies as we move into the next planting season. Uh, if you're interested, you can find information already online about registration and housing reservations, and that website uh, would be at www.cotton.org slash beltwide. Again, that's www.cotton.org slash beltwide. Um, when we're talking about deadlines and, and things like that, uh, this December 7th deadline is, is rapidly approaching, uh, to sign up for the seed cotton program. Uh, under this, under this new program, landowner, landowners and or growers have until December 7th to allocate generic base acres and update yields for seed while also choosing to enroll in either the price loss coverage or the PLC program or the agricultural risk coverage or the ARC program. So we're starting to see that uh, over the course of the next several weeks, several state extension services have scheduled and, and will be adding workshops to help answer questions about the program, explain the options available, and help growers get the right information into the system in order to, uh, to make sure they meet that deadline and don't miss out on the program because there will be no extensions, uh, according to USDA, on this. And finally... One quick story out of Lubbock, Texas. Uh, the Lubbock County Historical Commission recently dedicated a Texas historical marker to recognize Lubbock's first cotton gin. Now, according to, uh, to the, to the, to the reporter, to the story, the gin opened in mid-December of 1904. And that was three years after a gentleman named W.P. Lawrence raised the first cotton crop in Lubbock County, but had to haul his cotton to Big Spring, Texas for ginning. Now, I looked at the map and did some rough calculations. That's roughly 80 miles, give or take, uh, which in the early 1900s is a, is a fairly long trip. Uh, the, uh, the historical commission, someone from the commission, basically noted that at that time, Lubbock was not the center of the cotton industry in the region when that gin was built. All of that changed when that gin opened back in 1904. Uh, they look at it as uh, this marker is the first of what could be several cotton-related historical markers for the Lubbock area. Other sites currently under consideration include the Lubbock Cotton Oil Company and the Lubbock Compress Company. Very cool. I, you know, uh, 
and hearing that, it just made me think about, uh, you know, a lot of other communities in the belt could take a nod from uh, Lubbock and how that community does well to kind of recognize the importance of cotton on the economy there and the importance that it has played historically. And as you can tell with this marker, um, very cool, which is very cool. The folks out there who, you know, uh, are deliberate in recognizing uh, the farmers there and and how they have done so much, uh, how it has shaped, you know, the culture out there, for lack of a better way to put it. Well, it's it's it's, it's a recognition and of the machine that the cotton industry is yeah. out there that drives every other piece of the economy in that in that market. Um, from uh, from recognitions like this to the uh, to the celebrate cotton football game that. Uh, Happens every every year with Texas Tech University and a yeah. uh, couple different museums out yeah, there. A couple I mean, museums. It's uh, they 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 revel in their uh, in their cotton heritage. What we want to do next? Well, I want to thank you, Jim, for uh, leading us in that discussion. As always, we want to pause now, though, to bring you a message from our sponsor, Phytogen. Uh, they recently sat down with our custom content editor, uh, Robin Sickberg, and she had a chance to sit down with a Cortiva agronomist. And we'd like to bring you that conversation right now. Welcome to the Cotton Companion. I'm Robin Sitberg, a custom content editor with Meister Media Worldwide, publisher of Cotton Grower Magazine. My guest on this program today is Ken Leger, cotton development specialist with Phytogen. Ken, why don't you tell us a little bit about the area you serve and what you do as a Phytogen cotton development specialist? Sure. I basically serve an area in West Texas from Lynn County up to Swisher County and on points eastward in West Texas, as well as Oklahoma. Uh, as a phytogen cotton development specialist, I basically compile data from on-farm trials and other sources into actionable information to help growers uh, select and manage our varieties in the most effective manner. Well, harvest is here, and this is an exciting time when cotton producers see their hard work pay off. As growers harvest this year's crop, it's an excellent time to evaluate variety performance. How are cotton producers able to use the harvest to help make variety decisions for the next season? Well, this is a, a, a critical time uh, to evaluate variety performance. Uh, this is the time of year you can see, you know, what kind of uh, plant structures are out there, how that variety responded to here in West Texas, most importantly, how it responded to irrigation capacities, uh, whether it's, it's something that you think is going to be adapted to a light water situation or something that you need a lot of water to get the most uh, effective use out of, uh, you know, evaluate storm proofness, uh, as well as, uh, as, as pests related to our phytogen breeding traits, things like bacterial blight, verticillium wilt, root knot nematodes. This is an excellent time of year to, to evaluate how varieties uh, withstood or tolerated or resisted those pests as well. Ken, tell us a little bit about what you've seen this season with the performance of phytogen varieties. What varieties perform particularly well that you're excited about for next year? Well, 2018 is fortunate in a sense here in West Texas because we had a high number of heat units, much more than normal. And what this means is it gives us an excellent opportunity to evaluate variety maturity because all the varieties were able to fully express that maturity. So what we've seen north of Lubbock Phytogen 250W3FE has done really well on fields that are moderate to high irrigation capacities. Uh, and then Phytogen 300W3FE and Phytogen 350W3FE have done extremely well 
uh, really across the water spectrum, all the way from dry land to light water. And we've seen it, uh, those two varieties also excel in uh, really good water uh, conditions as well. South of Lubbock, uh, Phytogen 300 W3FE, Phytogen 350 W3FE, and most importantly, Phytogen 480 W3FE have really done well, uh, mainly because of the root knot nematode resistance that we see in both 350 and 480. 300 is a great all-around variety for, for south of Lubbock, but where you have root knot nematodes south of Lubbock, uh, growers are going to want to uh, focus on phytogen 350 W3FE and phytogen 480 W3FE. And then moving over to Oklahoma, uh, two big varieties I think that are that growers really need to try to, to grow are phytogen 300 W3FE and phytogen 490 W3FE. We've seen extremely good stability and performance out of those two varieties. Thanks, Ken. Where can growers get more information on phytogen varieties? Well, certainly the best places to call their local territory manager or the local cotton development specialist or simply go to phytogen.com for their contact information or even more information about our varieties. Very good. All right. Thank you, Robin and Cortiva, for that. Again, that's uh, Meister Custom Cotton Grower Custom Content Editor, Robin Sichtberg and uh, Cortiva Agronomist there. Now, we are going to keep this thing rolling here, and uh, I want to set up another interview for you, one that we conducted today with, uh, or rather yesterday, with Dr. O.A. Cleveland. Uh, We're going to try and make this a feature of every episode where we discuss and analyze the cotton market. We know that that's something that is always front of mind for you farmers, and so we want to kind of uh, put that uh, a little more in the shop window for you. So we're going to call this segment each episode, we're going to call it our Market Minute, even though it's likely going to go around 10 minutes uh, per episode. Again, just trying to set up uh, the new structure of our podcast for the new season. Today, we are joined by the always great Dr. Cleveland. He is a professor emeritus of economics at Mississippi State University, a longtime, well-respected voice in the cotton industry. I know you all know this. And uh, he joined us recently, or rather, he joined us to talk about his recent column on the U.S.-China trade policies and how those are affecting cotton. I think it's starting to make him a little nervous, as it is uh, many of us in the cotton industry in terms of this trade uh, dispute that has been ongoing. So sit tight and we will bring that to you right now. We are with uh, with Dr. O.A. Cleveland, Professor Emeritus of Agricultural Economics at Mississippi State University, a good friend of Cotton Grower and a regular contributor to, uh, to our publication and to our website. O.A., how are you today? Great. Good cotton day. Every day is a good cotton day. Right, there you go. All right. Um, I want to spend a few minutes visiting with you today. Uh, you've had uh, had some comments and some columns over the last couple of weeks with uh, expressing concerns about some of the uh, the trade agreements and trade negotiations that are going on with China in the face of some of the tariffs that are that are currently in the market. Uh, Last week, you, you, I think, was the first time in, in, that I'd ever seen you come out and use the words, uh, we're, in, we're going into a crisis. That was, that was a pretty strong statement from, from my perspective, hearing it from you. Can you kind of walk us through uh, the, the situation and your thinking on this and, and sort of what, the, what we need to be looking at and thinking about as, as this moves forward? Well, certainly, and thank you. What the, uh, first, I would say that I have been a 
strong supporter of the tariff. I think uh, the U.S. cotton industry just bared it so wide open as we went into the tariff agreements with uh, China some 15 to 20 years ago, and we agreed to open our doors, and they agreed to open their doors, and we were going to have a great partnership. But the problem was and remains that China never opened its doors. We simply lock, stock, and barrel moved our entire textile industry, our entire supply chain for the textile industry to China. At the same time, uh, they exported back to us, and we imported some five, ten million uh, dollars worth of apparel, uh, cotton apparel. We probably imported something in the neighborhood of $45 billion in total uh, cotton and non-cotton fibers, but we could never get them to take but a minimum quantity of our, our cotton. So consequently, we're in a situation now where here in the United States, we're going to consume at the consumer level, the customer, something like 20, 21 million bales of cotton this year. Now, that's not a record. Uh, we have to go back some eight years ago before we start seeing the real downturn in cotton consumption due to the textile, the, uh, the synthetic textile activity in China and sending to the U.S. so many man-made fiber products. But now then, we're going to import something like 8 million bales of Chinese textile goods. Primarily, most of that is non-U.S. cotton uh, this particular year. So we can't sell cotton to China now. Chinese won't buy it for cotton tariff, but yet we continue to take this foreign-grown cotton in the form of textile goods, and we don't care of that. Uh, this uh, inability to sell cotton, uh, used to, we would think in terms of selling 200,000 bales a week uh, worldwide now because of the tariff situation for the last three weeks. We've probably sold only about 160,000, 170,000 bales over the last three weeks total. So our cotton is not moving, uh, yet price has dropped to some. 10 cents to 15 cents a pound. So this is the crisis that we're seeing because of the price drop, such as a very significant fall in prices. And and the USDA and the administration said, well, we will make up for that with this payment, this tariff payment. And that all sounded good and great and potentially could, could still be. But then USDA turned around and said, oh, by the way, this is subject to your payment limitation." So for cotton grower, uh, not necessarily for all grain growers, but for most all cotton growers, it simply says, well, you're not going to get any payment because you're already maxed out at the government payment limit. So, again, uh, the 84-cent futures has now dropped to 75, 76-cent futures price and take 8 cents off of that or whatever for cash price. It's, that's the crisis that we're starting to see. The income, farm income from on a cotton basis certainly is having a major slippage because of this, and there's no protection as was initially announced. Looking, looking at some of the uh, the, the programs or, th- or I guess 
Yeah, programs are, are things that were put into the farm bill for cotton protection as we're as we're moving ahead. How, what kind of impact are those going to have in terms of a grower's income or ability to, to kind of survive this weather, this crisis? Well, we're still still suffering from a declining loan price. That's uh, uh, that that that's a that's a major problem. We still have the uh, uh, the the uh, the the, the uh, marketing loan payment is still eligible. Uh, it's still an eligible program if that were to come about. But when we are having to exercise that program anyway, it's, it simply means that there's some low prices. So in this sense, cotton lost protection because whereas grains to some degree are getting a payment for this tariff uh, situation, some of the, those same grain farmers will be locked out because of payment limitations. But certainly a the Mid-South and Southeast cotton and soybean farmer just is lost out entirely on any compensation, and it just uh, it makes it that much more important that they get a both a high yield and a high quality crop. So it's, it's very pro- tro- problematic, very troublesome uh, for a cotton grower now. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking. We're going to shift gears here for just a minute. I'm looking at the uh, the October. World Agricultural Supply Demand Estimates Report, or affectionately known as, as WASD. Uh, and uh, this is the report that was released earlier today, basically showing U.S. production uh, is raised 81,000 bales based on uh, higher production in certain areas of the, of the cotton belt to kind of offset some of the losses that we saw in the Carolinas from Hurricane Florence. Um, what do you see in terms of where this, this whole season may shake out in terms of, of production? Well, let me first drop back to last year in the coastal bend in Texas and uh, field surveys, actual on-field surveys reported by growers felt that there was at least three-quarters of a bale knocked on the ground from Harvey last year, that big hurricane and flood, and some people even said as much as a bale to the acre was knocked off the plant. Yet we continued after that hurricane report to see the U.S. crop get bigger and bigger. And it, talking to agronomists, talking to field uh, specialists, we began to realize that the, what the, that the seed companies truly have delivered an extremely strong set of varieties out there that make and make it make cotton. So I'm going to still stick with USDA's estimate. They they uh, they taught me last year or taught me a lesson last year, and I'm not going to give up on that lesson. I'm going to accept the WASDE report, the crop production report, as being real. And we'll probably show some more losses this next month in uh, uh, in Georgia, maybe a little bit in Alabama. Even. But recall we had the hurricane last month. It ran through the uh, Carolina, North Carolina crop, and still this month's estimate was larger. So we can still make some more cotton in Texas to offset that. A little more cotton can still come out of the Mid-South. Uh, it's pretty well open now, but there's still a little growth out there with the weather we're having. Mm-hmm. What, what do you see from a world perspective right now? Uh, I think the report basically said uh, today that global ending stocks were, they lowered them 4%. Uh, based on lower production and, and uh, marginally smaller consumption. Where do you think this is all going to shake out from a global perspective? Yeah, well, I, there was one thing that, that did shake out finally. We've been talking for 
two years and beating USDA over the head of the Foreign Ag Service at USDA. They just too grossly and miserably misestimated the China, the uh, Indian situation for four or five years. They went back some three years in this month's report and corrected about three million bales of that, uh, to which we're very pleased. We still think they have some more corrections to, to go, maybe as much as three more million bales. But uh, they did reduce the Indian stocks based on historical data, some three million bales, and that's uh, that's a major improvement. And that really led us to the smaller uh, oral carryover, and I'll come back again and say the same Indians that turned us on to USDA's era and their crop situation and consumption situation over the last several years are just extremely adamant that their crop is still uh, at least a million bales small, smaller than the current USDA estimate. I think most of us were very surprised USDA did not lower the Indian estimate. So well, we could still come down a million bales. We could still take world carry over lower. Uh, the the consumption estimate, possibly we did get a little ahead of ourselves, and we had to lower it a bit, since, uh, certainly because of what we're seeing with the lack of Chinese buying. But I think as the weeks tick by, uh, China will buy some cotton from the U.S., but those uh, other countries that are now selling cotton to China will pick up business that they would have obtained, because they're still in the scheme of things, uh, there's still a shortage of high-quality cotton. So they'll have to come to the U.S. sooner or later, or other countries will have to come to the U.S., the countries that uh, Brazil was supplying cotton to. But now China seems to be buying Brazilian, Greek, a little bit of Australian. Australian cotton is limited. So all in all, uh, I think consumption will pick up a bit. But the, the, the concern that U.S. may have a higher carryover than we anticipated is still very real. OA, thank you as, as usual for providing some clarity to all of this uh, this swirling, ever-evolving ever market situation. Uh, we appreciate your comments. Uh, we will certainly we'll let you go because I know you're a, you're a busy man. And uh, thank you again, and we will be right back with more of the Cotton Companion. Okay, very good. I want to thank Jim for conducting that interview for us. And uh, I want to thank Dr. Cleveland, obviously, for all that he does for Cotton Grower. And really what he does, he does for Cotton Grower's audience, America's Cotton Farmers. Uh, he is always an advocate for you all, no matter where he goes. And I'll just say that we are lucky to have him on our team uh, in this industry. So, uh, I believe we have one more uh, news item we wanted to talk about. It, it's harvest season, and I know we had a recent crop progress report come out, Jim, and so I'd uh, like to just hear from you on what that crop progress report told us. Uh, I know that we are uh, at this stage in the year where it's, you know, it just feels like to me as an outsider, it's like you got it. It's harvest season. And it's just this vulnerable moment where everybody's just trying to get these things out, and now we got rain in spots and cool weather in spots and obviously this thing in the southeast so so tell us uh where we are uh as a cotton belt in terms of getting this crop in well i think it's you know usda again like i said report season but this is the report they issue every uh every the first of every week uh reporting basically on, on the conditions uh for the week prior 
so this would be from the uh, the crop progress report for the week ending October 7th. Obviously, this is pre-hurricane uh, and pre-rain issues in West Texas. Uh, at that point, for uh, for for the past week, uh, they were showing open bowls across 78% of the U.S. crop, uh, which is actually about 4% ahead of the five-year average on this for that date. Uh, at that point, 25% of the U.S. crop had been harvested. That's also ahead of the five-year average by 7%. Uh, and when you look at the, at the details, there were 10 states, 10 cotton-producing states, that were also running ahead of average on harvest. Uh, the key, uh, one of the key uh, components of the of the report is always the crop condition report, uh, and it has been relatively unchanged for several weeks leading up, obviously, to this uh, to this October seven report. Uh, it's showing that forty two percent of the crop was rated good to excellent, thirty three percent of the crop was rated fair, and twenty five percent of the crop was rated poor to very poor at this point. Uh, it'll be interesting to see over the course of the next couple of weeks how those numbers change a little bit in terms of, of crop condition. We're hoping they won't drop too badly, but uh, we do expect anticipate a few uh, a few changes in those percentages. Yeah, it seems like this uh, most recent WASDE report, and you guys may have talked about this in your Dr. Cleveland interview, uh, didn't really account for this no. for this hurricane that just. Uh, just kind of no, the WASDE the WASD report was issued on uh, on October 11th. So uh, literally, when when he and I sat down to have the conversation, it had, it had been out. Uh, we both had about 30 minutes to look at it. Yeah, yeah, it's late. Well, we're if, if we're nothing if we're not late breaking <laughs> news breakers here at the Cotton Companion Podcast, which comes out twice weekly. So seems like every time we get we start thinking about getting to the studio, truly. Something big happens, you know, the day before or the day of we go into the studio. So, um, you know, we, we'll bring you news when we can. All right. Well, that'll just about do it for this installment of the Cotton Companion podcast. Uh, once again, we want to thank Dr. Cleveland for his time. He is certainly somebody who cares about the farmers in his state and around the belt. And uh, he's always willing to talk to us when we ask him to do so. So we are grateful. Uh, once again, we want to thank Phytogen for uh, sponsoring the podcast. And we want to thank you sincerely for joining us. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, by all means, tell your farmer buddies about us. Tell them about the Cotton Companion podcast. Uh, you can get to it in three easy ways. The first is to simply go to cottongrower.com, add a forward slash companion on there such that you type in cottongrower.com forward slash companion. And uh, that'll take you to a page that has all of our most recent episodes for you to get caught up. The second way to subscribe to the Cotton Companion podcast is to find us on iTunes, type in Cotton Companion in the search bar on iTunes, and uh, you can you can subscribe that way. If you do that, leave us a rating. Let us know what you think of our podcast. We'd love to get feedback from our listeners. The third, and in my opinion, best way to make sure you receive each installment of the Cotton Companion is to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter. Uh, Jim here works hard to pack that thing with all the relevant news of the day, and it hits your inbox uh, religiously on Tuesday mornings. It will occasionally hit your inbox on Thursday mornings as well. You can do that by simply going to www.cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. And it's quick, intuitive process to get yourself signed up there. Also, uh, make sure you are following us on social media. I figure if you are listening to a podcast, then you may be the type of guy 
who or gal who uh, also does the social media thing as I do. On Twitter, we are at Cotton Grower Mag. And on Facebook, you can find us by simply searching for Cotton Grower Magazine in the search bar. Uh, we hope you are enjoying our latest issue. That was the special October product guide, big tabloid sized thing. And uh, we know that the November issue, which we are wrapping up right now, uh, will be in your mailboxes um, the around the second week of November. So once again, our thanks to our podcast sponsor uh, from Fidegen. This podcast is produced by Mr. Tyler Hatch, who works at the Mothership Meister Media Worldwide in beautiful Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I will be back with you in two weeks for the next episode of The Cotton Companion. For now, on behalf of my own cotton companion, Jim Stedman, we wish you and your farm all the best. Phytogen thanks you for listening to this edition of The Cotton Companion. To learn how you can thrive with Phytogen, go to phytogen.com.